Man, there's something powerful that happens when we deeply connect with another person, isn't there? Like, we don't even always know what goes into that connection, but we know, and maybe you've experienced it before, where you can be more courageous than you thought you could be. You could be more determined, you could be a bit grittier, stronger when you needed to be than you could ever be on your own because somebody is in it with you. And I was thinking about this this past week and was reminded of a great story I read in a great book called The Power of the Other by Henry Cloud. And he shares the story of his brother-in-law, Mark, who uh, became a Navy SEAL. In fact, in the line of duty, uh, Mark lost his life. And at the memorial, he was talking with some of these uh, Navy SEAL buddies, Henry Cloud was. And one of these guys started sharing the story of what Mark did in his life and kind of who, the kind of person he was. And he shares this story. I just wanted to kind of relay it to you because it makes this point perfectly. It says, his teammate, whom I'll call Bryce, was in the ocean during hell week. And if you know anything about Navy SEAL training, that's not exaggerating. It is a push you to the brink week, physically, mentally, emotionally. And here he is swimming the last long leg to the finish line. Mark, had already made it. He had passed the final test and knew that he was going to become a seal. For Mark, it was done. And he was standing on the rocks above the water, eagerly watching his buddies strive towards the goal. And that's when Bryce hit the wall. As Bryce described it, it was that moment when his body would just go no more. It was done. There was nothing left. He tried to will himself to keep going, but his body simply would not obey. Cloud writes, maybe you can relate to this in some way. If you've ever been to the gym and lifted a weight for enough repetitions over and over, you get to that same point. Your arms are done. There's no more. There's nothing left to give, and no surge of will in your body is going to make it happen at that point. That's where Bryce found himself in that moment. He's beginning to sink in the cold water, totally out of fuel, totally out of strength. He has zero ability to go another yard. Push as he would, his body, his skills, his training failing him. And he's he's telling the story. He says he's about to go down, which means he's going to have to call for help. He's going to have to signal, and that means seal is over for him. He's not going to make it. And his eyes fall upon the land ahead, and there's Mark standing on the shore. Bryce says Mark saw him And sort of signaled to him, gave him this big fist pump and yelled at him with kind of like communicating, you can do this. He says their eyes locked for a few seconds. And as Bryce described it, something happened, something beyond him. Locking eyes with Mark, his body jumped into another gear, into this whole other dimension that he had not had access to before. He's able to get back up on the cold water again and swim towards the finish line. He makes it. He finishes it. He becomes a seal. A moment before connecting with somebody else, he could not do it. He did not have the power on his own. But even just through locking eyes with a friend, That connection gave him a power he did not have access to before. We find strength in our connectedness to another person. Bryce was able to borrow strength that he did not have, a willpower that he did not have through a deep connection with his friend. Can you relate to an experience like that? You ever had a moment in your life where you found yourself able to do more than you thought you could do because somebody else sort of lent you the strength? the lent you whatever you need. Maybe you could do more than you thought. Maybe you were able to endure past a quitting point or find like a renewed passion or energy to keep going forward. Perhaps that's been like a friend like Mark and Bryce or maybe for you it was a parent or a coach 
Or maybe, you know, for those of you who are in like different uh, aspects of training, maybe you've had a training partner somewhere that was just able to call out one more rep in you or to, to take another step or to keep going the next mile. We each have limits though, right? That's part of what makes us human. We are finite. But when we deeply connect with another person, we find that we can exceed that limit. We can't on our own, but with their help, we actually can push past it. Well, over the course of this series, Hope and Anxiety, we've been looking at a very real struggle that the vast majority of us actually face every day, and it's against anxiety. Over the past three weeks, we've gotten a focused look at some of the realities that go along with anxiety. We've also looked at how our habits can either work for or against us when it comes with anxiety. And I really would encourage you to to re-listen or re-watch these messages if you haven't been catching. Even if you have, it's probably worth just going, I'm going to need to hear that again. You can get that on the Gateway app. You can go online to uh, gatewaychurch.com. You can even check it out on uh, Facebook. We've gotten some really cool feedback on this series. Like it's just been, so many of you described, hey, this has been really helpful. This has been the world I live in and this has been helpful in knowing how to deal with and move forward. How, to, how do I make you know, ground in this battle with anxiety? In fact, I wanted to share with you some really fun news uh, as it relates to this summer. Uh, one of the authors that John Burke, our senior pastor, has quoted uh, often throughout the series is a guy named J.P. Moreland. I don't know if you remember his story. of he was a, He's a philosophy professor uh, in California, but has really struggled against debilitating anxiety in his life. And he's read a book about it and it's coming out. We got word this past week that J.P. Moreland is going to be here this summer. He is going to be here as a part of our Voices series. So not only has this series been kind of good, I really encourage you, kind of put that on your radar. That'll be coming in like July. It'll be just enough time where you're going, I need to hear all that again. I need to kind of reabsorb that. But you'll be hearing it from a practitioner who you've already heard some of his struggles, but to hear it from him and be encouraged, I think you'll really want to be here this summer. We're excited to have him here. But here's what we've been doing. The goal has not been to provide a big group therapy session for you, okay? Like, we are fans of counseling, and we really encourage you to go and seek that out. We're not trying to replace counseling here. But we are trying to help you realize that you can grow in your grasp on hope, even in the midst of anxiety. It's hope and anxiety. But today, we really wanted to focus in, as we wrap this series up, on a really key point. In your battle against anxiety, you will only make it so far on your own. Like you will find a limit at some point in time. You will run up to the edge. Just like Bryce found there out on the water, swimming towards the finish line, you will run into a personal limit against this fight with anxiety. And in in those times, we each need someone we can borrow strength or courage or endurance from to keep moving forward. And to help us kind of bring this point home, I wanted to share with you a passage from the Bible where people found themselves in a difficult and threatening position as they tried to pursue hope. It wasn't just like all life was going well. They had some real causes for anxiety. And while I doubt you'll be able to relate to their specific struggle, I think we can all pull out like some principles that they operated by in order for us to really go, hey, how can I learn from them? to lay hold of hope just like they did together. So I'm going to take you to Acts chapter 4. Now, if you can, you'll follow along on the screen if you want to, just to give you a little bit of context about Acts chapter 4. Uh, what's happened is that these disciples of Jesus have seen and experienced Jesus raised from the dead, and they've started telling everybody about it. And they can't 
honestly be silent about it. Now, at that time, they also run into some serious opposition in forms of the Jewish leaders, the same Jewish leaders who had had Jesus executed uh, with, in collusion with the Roman government uh, on the cross. So these are pretty serious people that they're warring off against. They had jailed the disciples, kind of without trial, just for talking about Jesus. And then they basically, the next day in their trial, it was more or less just an intimidation session where they threatened them and said, if you ever talk about Jesus' name in this city again, you can expect worse than what you just got tonight. So that's where they are. Now, it's good to keep in mind as we pick up this story that the Jewish leaders are not making idle threats, okay? The disciples know they are really serious. Not that long ago, they had seen Jesus himself savagely beaten, whipped, and crucified under these people's influence. And then they themselves had just spent the night in jail. And jail was not a cushy experience back then, okay? Like this was a rough night. These leaders are not bluffing when it comes to the disciple. The threat is real. So, you can imagine in these disciples, the anxiety level has started to, you know, increase a little bit. They just told us, never talk about Jesus again. Rather than continuing to share the message of hope, it would have been really easy for these guys to go silent. It would have been kind of like, I think we would all agree, smart for their own personal safety to just, just give in, you know, just, just quiet it down a little bit. Kind of an aside real quick before we dig into the story. Isn't that precisely what happens to us when the threat of anxiety comes our way? It tries to silence hope in us. Because it points to all the circumstances that tell us you have no reason to hope here in that. Maybe it's circumstances in our life. Maybe it's a pattern that we have drifted into and there just doesn't seem like there's any way out of it. Or maybe you even have a natural predisposition to anxiety and it just feels like it's pointless to fight it. All of it just tries to silence hope in us. For some of us, you know, you've worked through an event in your life like the loss of a job, and it just doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of reason to get excited about the future right now. Or maybe you've worked through the circumstances of like health issues and you get a bad doctor's report. Or maybe you've worked through experiences like deep betrayal from somebody who you thought cared about you, or even the loss of somebody that you truly loved. When those moments happen, anxiety sort of threatens you on that. It's like this little tribunal assembles in your own mind, and it sort of pressures and intimidates you with all the horrible things that have happened and all the horrible things that are going to happen, and it just feels like you're stuck. And it's easy at that point when you're thinking and hearing all that stuff to get intimidated by it, to sort of give away your hope and just say, fine, I'll just be quiet. I can't, I can't be realistic about hope in light of all these things. Similar place to where these disciples are. Let's see how they respond. In Acts chapter 4, verse 23, it says this. After they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Interesting first step. They don't run for the hills. They don't run for cover. They go to their friends and they share it. When their hope was being threatened and they're intimidated into silence, they went to their friends and simply shared, here's what's going on in our world. Now, this may seem like an obvious step, but I think we underestimate how isolating anxiety is. When you find yourself there in that place, it feels like you are the only one. I'm the only one that really understands what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, and what I'm going through. No one could understand. No one can knows how to help me 
in the middle of this. Think about it. These disciples, they're facing the, the imprisonment, beatings, death. Even they're looking at all those things in the face. Their friends weren't hauled before the tribunal. Like they, they aren't facing the same things at all. But these disciples chose to go to them. They chose to be vulnerable, to be authentic, to be real, and to let other people into it with them. They're saying, hey guys, here's what's trying to silence hope in us. It's actually very real. It's very threatening. Here's what's going on. And notice too, I love this, they didn't avoid it. They didn't say, yeah, they threatened us, doesn't seem so bad to me. I guess if you look at the positives of all this, they didn't try to minimize it, they didn't try to deny it. They just were like, here's what they threatened us with. They were real about the thing that could be causing them anxiety. And it's really meant to be no different for us. When we battle anxiety, especially when the circumstances are real, and you feel like, you know what, I've got a real reason to feel anxious. It's not just like I'm, I'm kind of having a bad day. It's like, no, look at what's going on in my life. When there's a real substance to your fear, that's meant to be a cue to be authentic with people in our lives that we can trust, people that are for us. It's not going to help us to avoid it, to minimize it, the cause of our anxiety. It's actually really better just to be honest. Here's what's going on with some people I know that care and are for me in it. And that's where the disciples were. Acts chapter 4, they're in this real, really threatening, very real situation. They share with their friends and then check this out. Here's what happens in Acts chapter 4. It says, when they heard the report, They lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea, everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why are the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, This has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor of the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Now, that is a pretty interesting turn of events, don't you think? In the face of all these threats, I don't like, if somebody ever prayed for you like that, you'd be like, whoa, what, how many Red Bulls did you have before you walked in here today? Like, that's a little bit of what they, I love this though. There's so much here though, just real quick that you can kind of go like, how did that happen? How did they get to the end of that prayer? What's going on and all that? Well, first it says, they, they hear the report. We all listened. And it says, then they lifted their voices together in prayer to God, meaning they invited God into the difficulty with them. That was like the first thing they did. All right, this is serious. We need God. So we lift our voice in prayer. John has talked about that as a, as a step to take as you're battling anxiety. Where are you moving towards God in prayer? I think that was like week one or two. Rather than deny it, rather than give in to the silence, instead, I love this, they spoke up. I'm going to speak up and I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to invite him into this. They went directly to God with what was on their hearts. And don't miss this. It says they lifted their voices together. You can absolutely pray on your own. And that's an important part in this battle against anxiety. But don't miss the power that comes when you go together to God with other people. When you're facing that threat of anxiety, you can raise your voices to God together. They are, these disciples are being carried along 
by their friends in this moment. But not just that. In the, as they start their prayer, did you notice what they did? They remembered who God is. Like, not just like, hey, God, I know you're out there somewhere. Here's what's going on in our world. Do you know what? They stopped for a second, and they said this, sovereign Lord, which is kind of like, oh, ruler of the universe sort of language, like creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. It's like, as they start praying, they're like, you know what? Let's not forget who we're talking to in this. Let's talk to the king of all creation. This is the God who creates galaxies and stars and planets and ecosystems for a hobby. This is who he is. This is, we're speaking to that person right here and right now. They remember who he is. They even draw on, you know, some of what they're quoting are Psalms. They remember this truth that God has spoken to them through the scriptures. And they're like, God, you are this kind of God. You have said these kind of things. That's who we're talking to. But even as they remember and go, yeah, that's, we're focusing on who God is together, they also do something else. They're again honest with God about the threats that are facing them. So now the disciples have been honest with people, but now they get really honest with God about the threats facing them. They kind of list off, hey, you know, this guy was against us, this guy's against us, this guy. I mean, basically everybody has united against Jesus. So the threat is real, God. You've seen what they've done to Jesus. You've seen what they've done to us. And again, there's no hint of denying it. They're not minimizing it. But together, as they see God, they reframe the threats they're facing against the backdrop of the immensity of who it is they're talking to. Like, wait a minute, this is the God who has power. This is the God whose heart is good. This is the God who is present right here in the middle of it with us. They reframe everything that they're experiencing against the backdrop of going, well, let's not forget who this God is, even these threats that are real. It reminds me of a story I heard uh, from the pastor of a church that we used to attend. Uh, he was uh, standing up at the church, uh, at, kind of at the front. A lot of times you'll see people come up here for prayer, and uh, it was similar at this church. He was standing up there, and a family, a young couple, approached him with uh, a little you know, baby in their arms, kind of had a blanket over it. And they walked up and, and said, you know, we'd love for you to pray for our baby. He's like, oh, sure. So he, they kind of put the baby in his arms, and right as they're uh, pulling the blanket off, he looks down And what he saw, literally, the way he describes it, took his breath away. Like, he almost stumbled there because he saw the most deformed child he had ever seen. Like, the whole uh, center of the child's face was caved in. And he was sitting there going, I have no idea how this child is even breathing right now. Like, there's no way this kid should be alive. And right then, the mom sort of leans in and says, her name is Emily. And the doctors tell us she has about six weeks to live. And we would love to ask that you would pray that she would experience our love before she dies. You know, he's trying to hold it together in this moment. He's like, yeah, let's pray. And they prayed, and they prayed uh, for this child and for this family. And afterwards, as he's holding, kind of handing the baby back, and he just sort of looks at them and just says, is there anything that we as a church can do for you here in this time? I mean, is there any way we can help you? And the dad says the most unexpected thing. He looks at him, he says, you know what? Thank you, but we're okay. Really, we are. He says, we've been a part of a small group here at this church for years, and uh, they have been a part of this whole journey with us. They, uh, they were there when we found out that there were complications with this pregnancy. Uh, they were there at the hospital when Emily was born. Uh, they've been there every day since. They have stayed at our house. They've you know, cleaned our house. They've made food for us. 
They call us all the time. They pray for us all the time. In fact, they're even helping us plan Emily's funeral now. And they've helped us just kind of absorb all that's happening to us. And, you know, the pastor's just sitting there listening to them and all this. And right about then, three other couples step up from behind them and say, uh, we're part of their small group and we attend church together every Sunday. And they just kind of had a moment there. And he said, I'll never forget just watching them sort of all walk out together with this little baby. I mean, there they are, this group of people reframing one of the worst, cruelest blows life can throw at you and finding hope together in God as a community. Friends, we need people with whom we can be safely authentic about real things, but who will also point us to the greater reality of God in our circumstances. People like that small group around Emily's parents. People like uh, the group you heard represented up here by Jeff and Vanessa not that long ago. People who are helping each other see a greater reality about God. Do you have people like that in your life? People who won't just complain with you about how bad it is in your life? Again, not to deny being authentic, but it doesn't help if we all just complain. I mean, you can go get that for free from anonymous people on the internet all the time. They'll complain with you. And sometimes we have people in our life who, well-intentioned, try to minimize the difficulty that we're walking through. It's not so bad. No, it's really horrible, that, what I'm walking through. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who will enter into it authentically with you. But people who, at the same time, won't just settle for silence in the face of anxiety. People who are still in love, going to point you to God's power, towards His goodness, towards His presence, even in the middle of of this situation. We need people like that around us. Because that wasn't all that they just did, that there's more. As you kind of walk through that passage, you see the two other vital things that this community did for the disciples that day? It says, they entrusted themselves and their circumstances to God. Like, okay, God, you see all this. You know the threats. We know who you are. We are now specifically choosing to trust you in the middle of all this. And that's really kind of encapsulated in that phrase. It says, now, O Lord, hear their threats. It's kind of like, God, we hear it. We know you hear it. So we're trusting you are paying attention and you're on it. Like that was a specific conscious choice they made. Now, Lord, hear these threats. And then they finish with this astounding ask right in the middle of real anxiety. They ask for boldness. I love that. They don't, in the face of threats, in the face of real fear, they don't pray for safety. They don't ask for like, hey God, will you beam me out of this situation? They don't ask for him to change it. They ask for God to change them. We ask for boldness, great boldness, the scripture says. And honestly, I'm not here to make this a big lesson out of ancient Greek, but there's a really interesting thing here when you read the original language that this story was written in. We translate it in English as great boldness, There's more layers to that word. It's a Greek word called parousia. Parousia. Here's some of what that word means. Free and fearless confidence. Cheerful courage. Boldness. Assurance. I love that. Cheerful courage. So in the middle of that, they're being threatened. Their lives are being threatened. And they said, God, would you make us cheerfully courageous 
in this moment. Cheerful courage. That is the opposite of anxiety. That is exactly what they're asking for in the middle of this. They're asking for a confidence born out of hope. The hope that God is present, that he's paying attention, and that he's actually much bigger than anything that they're facing right now. And ultimately, that's what we want to help each other towards. Parecia, even in the face of anxiety. That's what we want, right? Like, I mean, in the middle of all the trying circumstances of life, of which there are limitless amounts, isn't that what we want? Friends like that? Like, don't we want that? Like, so where do you find them? Like, where do you find these people? Is there like a match.com site for friends that inspire hope in life? Like, where do you find these people? Like, are they available for hire somewhere? Can you pay them? It's a great question. And here's the thing. They don't really believe that they're for hire, But yes, they are absolutely available to you. Just look around. They're right next to you. You are surrounded by them. Here at Gateway, each of us, in our own way, are trying to pursue that kind of hope in our lives. None of us are perfect. We'll talk about that all the time. None of, you know, no perfect people allowed. None of us have it all figured out. But neither did the disciples or their friends. Like, you don't have to have it all figured out to still help each other take hold of hope. God had placed them in each other's lives, and here you all are together. We're all here together. So how, in a church like Gateway, do you actually find the friends like this? I'm so glad that you asked. I'm so glad that you asked, because... In case there's been any confusion on this point, and I realize especially, with, you know, it, it, there has been. I know there's a lot of, you know, I don't understand exactly how to begin that process. I just wanted to share with you how you can begin to connect with people like that here at Gateway. People who come alongside you in life. But it really depends on what you're looking for. There's kind of two different ways. The first way that I would mention to you is like, if you're like, if this is all new to you, and you've not really taken many steps at all. You're not sure how to start or where to get going and all this. And this, you know, I know that this seems like the right step, but I'm not sure how to do that whatsoever. I would really point you towards one of our serving networks. Serving network. You may hear that phrase around there. This is super simple. Here's what a network is at Gateway. They are groups of people reaching out to serve people either in our city, somewhere out and uh, here in Austin or the local area, moving outward like that, or they choose to serve people who come here to our campus. And as they serve, they create connectedness with each other, hence the idea of network. We're just a network of people who give of ourselves for other people, but we also enjoy relationship together. And that's exactly what happens in a a network. A network fosters relationship, and then it builds friendships. It helps you, you know, it inspires you to grow spiritually, but it also helps you tangibly serve other people in need to sort of get out of yourself. So how do you find out about a network? Okay, if they're out there, where are they? First, I'd point you to Starting Gate. Uh, Nate mentioned it a minute ago. Immediately following any service here on the weekends, you can go and learn about different serving networks that are here on our campus. And a lot of them will primarily introduce you to the ones that are happening here on Sunday. There's networks of people that serve over in our kids' building uh, to bless and care for these kids. There's networks of people who greet you when you walk in or or play uh, music and bring that here on stage. It'll also help you get to know some of the networks you may not see up here uh, all the time. In fact, you can uh, get to our website. If you want to check this out and learn on your own, you can go to this website. So you might want to grab a camera and take a picture of that one, okay? Because it's a little hard to remember, but it's about 
living-connected-slash-north-dash-ought. So anyway, take a picture of it. It's there though, okay? And there's a list of some of the ones you may not see. Uh, groups like our 20s and 30s network. For people who are kind of in that zone of life, we call it Anchor. Uh, you may see them kind of out here in the lobby or wearing a shirt or something like that. It's just a group of people who serve and care for, but also are learning to be connected with each other. Same thing with Feed the Community that uh, serves those in need here for, with food on, on uh, Wednesdays or Grow Together Garden that meets out uh, throughout the week, but especially on Saturday mornings to kind of take a love of gardening and create a sense of relationship and service uh, out of that. But there's also new networks that are being created all the time. And you may not hear about these at Starting Gate or on the web. We're calling them emerging networks. We've been talking about some of the plans that are taking place this year. And we're trying to create some new avenues to help create other people, to connect other people either here in the city and help them uh, build relationship with each other. So for example, we have a marketplace network that's just about to start on February 7th. It's coming up. I just want to mention it to those of you who are uh, in in the marketplace somewhere working. This is a, the goal is to get people together to create a relational environment for those who are in the workplace. It could be a lot of different places and you're just looking to grow in some way. You could be an entrepreneur, small business owner, mid-level manager, wherever you are in your career. The goal is to gather together for lunch, uh, they're going to have a great speaker there that kind of challenges, inspires you, and gives you some thoughts to grow. In fact, our first uh, speaker here on February 7th is going to be one of our own gateway attenders, uh, Kimberly Watson-Hemphill, who uh, attends South Campus, but you may not know this, she was voted uh, one of the top five female-owned businesses by Austin Business Journal, and she's going to be there. And it's just kind of a chance to come, hang out, get to know people, learn and grow all during a lunch hour starting on February 7th. Especially if you've got people in your life, you go... Here we are in this hope and anxiety series. How many of you know there's somebody in your world at work that faces anxiety? Maybe they need a community of people, and a marketplace network is a place where that can begin for them. But there's other ones you'll hear about as well. But even, okay, let's say you're not ready to quite jump into the whole network thing yet. Like, hey, I still want to stay in motion on the whole connection idea. Well, then you may want to consider a short-term group we call Connect groups. Connect groups are coming up in February, and I can help you sort of stay in conversation about a network, helps you learn a little bit more, but it's like a, a limited run, so it's not like, hey, I haven't committed to this for the rest of my life. It's about eight weeks. You'll get to know people uh, along the way, and we've watched people who will take eight weeks in a connect group feel way more confident about digging into a serving network. If you'd like to go, hey, tell me about a connect group, take that uh, connect card in your seat back in front of you and let us know. You can just fill it in, drop it off at one of the tables uh, on your way out. We'd love to help you do that. Now, if you've already found connection through like a serving network, maybe you've been to Starting Gate, you're serving, you're starting to develop relationships and things like that, or maybe you're ready for like, okay, I want to take the challenge level up a little bit. I really want to kind of dig in. Then you might be ready for a life group. A life group is a group of people that are relationally connected, but they're specifically focused on growing intentionally in spiritual maturity. Like that's the reason they come together. It's not just a hangout time. It's like, hey, we really want to grow. We want to grow in what it means to know Jesus and become like him. Now, many a times these life groups grow out of an existing network. That's where a lot of our groups have come from. It's like, hey, we already all know each other. We serve together. What if we focused in on spiritual growth together? That's another great reason to look at jumping into a network so that it's sort of an organic evolution into that relationship. 
Other times, though, you can jump into a life group like you heard Jeff and Vanessa talk about. They didn't know each other at all, but they found out, you know what? God has kind of woven our lives together. There's some unique ways that we are. Even though we're diverse, there's this unity uh, there that we have together. But let me tell you this about life group, okay? It is not for the faint of heart. It requires a level of real commitment, of real engagement, consistency, so that you can really start to experience the transformation of really being in community and pursuing spiritual growth together. You want to figure this one out? You can check out our website. It's much easier this time. It's just gatewaychurch.com slash lifegroups, all right? You can check that one out. Uh, you can discover what life groups are just out there and available right now. Quick word on that. There, there are a limited number of life groups. So if you go, hey, none of these work for me, just be patient with us, okay? We are really working to develop other life group leaders so that we can expand the number of groups. Uh, but those are out there right now. And then also, I would encourage you, if you're a part of a serving network, talk to the people in your network. Is there a life group that already exists that you could jump into? Or could we create one? If you develop enough people in a network that are like, hey, we want to start a life group, I will help you. I promise, okay? I would love to help a group begin in that way. But those are some of the best ways to step towards life group. All those are available to you right here, right now. It will require some intentionality, perhaps some perseverance on your part. Sometimes it takes a little bit of courage to just step forward and begin. But no, there are people all around you who could help form sort of a circle around you in the battles that you fight in your life. Really interesting things happen when we connect deeply with other people in community. In fact, check out what happens to the disciples that day in Acts chapter 4 after they prayed like this together. It says, after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the Word of God with boldness, cheerful courage. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. The whole thing starts when God shakes some things up. It shook that place. I love that. What does it look like after God shakes things up? It looks like a community of hope, doesn't it? Sharing, giving, serving, loving, bold, courageous. And notice though, it was a hope that emanated from Jesus. It wasn't just a pie in the sky hope of like, hey, things are going to get better someday. You know what? It just, just don't give up. Believe in yourself. No, this was a hope that was fixed on the news of Jesus' resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead. They had hope. In fact, they were deriving hope from the same Jesus who told them this in John 16, 33. He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus spoke that to them. They were operating on going, he was right. That's where their hope came from. Another little quick interesting thing about the original language here, we translated in English as he says, uh, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. It sounds like he's talking to you, right? Individuals? No, he was talking to a group. In fact, if we were to sort of do a Texas translation, it would be a little bit more like this. I have told you all this so that y'all may have peace in me. That's what Jesus was saying. The peace was a promise to the community. 
Yes, to individuals, but it was to a community. Y'all, this is who can have peace together. And that's where we discover it too. Because this threat of anxiety is always real. He says, there's going to be trials. There will be sorrows. But we are called to peace. Peace because Jesus has overcome our fears. Peace, peace that allows us to stand even in the face of real anxiety. So here's what I invite you to do. Please just stay seated for a moment. Because we have a chance to experience peace together, to call on God. The team is going to lead us here in a final song. And I just, before you walk back into whatever you got going on this weekend, I want to encourage you to just sit as a community for a moment. It's where we could sort of gather strength together to remember that there is a true and lasting peace that flows from this steady, strong hope that we have in Jesus.